0: Hello, and welcome to our very first podcast episode of From the Pastor's Bookshelf, and I am here with Pastor Jeremy Carmichael. And this guy, he devours books the way Cookie Monster devours cookies. And so we are really excited to bring this podcast to you. Jeremy, why don't you tell him, spend a sure. couple minutes talking about what this podcast is and what we're doing here.
1: Yeah, well, I'd like to read books and devour books like Cookie Monster Devours Cookies, but uh, I do love books. Without love. destroying them. Yeah, no. He's, he just destroys the cookies. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah I don't don't destroy them. They're they intact afterwards. But uh, uh, no, I've always loved books. Uh, my father was a guy who loved, loved books and is still a man who loves books. And uh, so I get actually pleasure out of just buying books and new, new things you can read. And uh, the purpose of the, of the whole um, uh, podcast is our imagination is shaped by what we consume. And oftentimes we're consumed with all kinds of crazy things, right? And mm-hmm. it's not necessarily edifying, not necessarily helpful. And so the main uh, kind of literature we want to have our minds and our imaginations flooded with is uh, the Bible, of course. We want to have mm-hmm. daily in God's revealed will, uh, re- 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 or His Word revealed to us, you know, mm-hmm. revealing Himself to us. But besides the Bible, what are we allowing in? And so the whole idea of this podcast is forming our imagination with good literature. And so we're going to look at all kinds of different books, Um, you know, classic works of fiction, uh, uh, various uh, didactic or, you know, nonfiction-type books that teach us something. Uh, So old, new, all different types. And so that's the whole idea of the podcast is to inspire us to maybe read a few more books. Uh, If you don't read books at all, then maybe this podcast has inspired you to uh, read a book that you'd never thought about reading. And at the end of the year, after 12 months, uh, it would be great if uh, some members of our congregation or anyone listening to this read, because again, what, what we fill our imagination with forms our actions, forms our sense of understanding about who we are and how we relate to the world, and so let's fill it with some good literature mm-hmm. as opposed to so much of the produced junk that uh, often yeah. fills our minds. So that's the whole idea of this, is to, in, to, to have some good discussion about good books and uh, also, to hopefully inspire people to read some good stuff as well.
0: Good, yeah. I think we've largely lost the uh, just sort of the the literary aspect of our society, yeah. largely because of what we're going to be talking about today. Yeah. And yeah. so, so with that, let's let's talk about what what threatens our ability to read so often. Sure. Yeah. Let's dive into our first book.
1: Yeah. Uh, so the first book that we're going to be looking at here is Twelve Ways Your Phone Is Changing You. Twelve Ways Your Phone Is Changing You by Tony Reinke, and uh, it's a book that uh, talks about, hey, guess what? Your smartphone, right? Mm-hmm. That's what. It's it's all about. Uh, and the smartphone is an interesting uh, invention. It's an in- interesting bit of technology. It's uh, been called the most powerful handheld tool of social connection ever invented. Mm-hmm. Uh, think about It's not that uh, the phone itself is so amazing, but it's what our phone connects us to and the ease in which we're connected to all kinds of things. Mm -hmm. And so uh, the cell phone, the reason why it has such an influence on us is because it connects us to uh, news, to music, to our schedules, to people, to videos, anything I'm curious about. Mm -hmm. My phone will uh, connect me too. Yeah. Whereas, uh, anyone, anyway, we'll go ahead.
0: Oh, yeah, it's, re- well, even the, just thinking about what the phone has replaced, you know, yeah. remember back in, uh, if you watch Back to the Future Part Two, right, they <laughs> yeah. thought that fax yeah. machines were going to be ubiquitous, they were going to be everywhere. Yeah, in 2015. I yeah. Exactly, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. We, that came and went. Or uh, seeing, I remember seeing an ad for the future airplane, what it was going to look like in the year 2000, the future airplane was going to have a fax machine in every seat. Yeah. And so, yeah. just to think about, you know, the Rolodex, the calendar, the journal, the palm pilot, uh, everything that it's replaced, that's yeah. all been very handily and, <clears throat> and many times very helpfully condensed into something that is taken up by entirely screen, really. Yeah. And so that uh, we can keep in our pocket. And yeah, The small. endless information that it connects us to through the internet, of course. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and it, it connects us to one
1: another in a way that mm-hmm. we never thought possible, that seemed just sci-fi, yeah. and it connects us to, uh, you know, all kinds of things, and... Um, so something but the thing that's because of that because it connects us to all these things that matter to us um, we're with our phones all the time. Mm. You know, studies show that one uh, once every 4.3 minutes uh, mm. we're checking our phone Wow once every 4.3 minutes we're looking at our phone all of our waking hours the 4.3 yeah. Every four point three minutes of our waking lives, I mean, and and so it's it's something we we it's something that connects us everywhere, and it's something we can take everywhere. Mm-hmm. A lot of the technologies that this replaced are things that you could not take with you, like if you mentioned the fax machine. You're yeah. not you back in the day. You're not going to take the fax fax machine with you to the baseball game, <laughs> right? Or to the movies, or yeah. or uh, even to the bathroom or whatever. You know, yeah, you're not yeah. going to take it. But here with the phones, you take them everywhere, mm-hmm. and. One of the things that Ranky uh, talks about is how technology is always changing us. Hmm. Technology is not neutral. Technology is not something that simply forms a function or performs a function, rather, in our lives. Uh, technology does that. But a lot of times we think of technology as only that. It's neutral. I have aims. I have goals. I have things I want to accomplish in life. And these various technologies that are, uh, I get to have help me do that. Help me do what I want to do. And we think that's it. Okay, the technology comes, it helps me do what I want to do, and then I'm done with it. But the technology itself also uh, transforms us. It it shapes us in ways uh, that are quite revealing. And so uh, uh, Neil Postman in his book, Amusing Ourselves to Death, which is a book we'd like to talk about on this podcast at some point. So Mm -hmm. I'll be brief here. But he talks about how uh, even the technology, uh, technology as simple as a clock or a telegraph, changed society, hmm. changed civilization. That's a, anything you can do and introduce uh, into the world. Uh, and it was actually transform civilization and also transform the way people see themselves and see other people. Um, that's an amazing thing. So he goes in his book to talk about how the telegraph and the clock, just the clock does <laughs> did that. And if that's true, and you can look back in history and see how that's true, You can see how the clock transformed civilization and individuals' sense of being. You can see how the telegraph did that. You can see how all kinds of different kinds of technologies did not just serve a function but transformed the way we see the world and how we interact in the world. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's not without effect. And so you can look back and see that. And so it behooves us to look at this technology. If a telegraph transformed the world and people's sense of being, how much more would a phone – that I take everywhere and connects me to just about everything, change me. And so that's the whole point of the book. Yeah, That's really the whole point of the book that um, uh, Reinke is getting at is to ask some good questions about uh, since this technology is with me all the time, how is it changing me?
0: Yeah, yeah, that's good. I remember uh, just recently hearing um, on the point of technology, Henry uh, David Thoreau, Mm -hmm. who spent months and months in the woods trying to escape from the technology of the day long before the digital world. And he was very critical of the railroad system, the the transcontinental railroad system that they were installing, because the railroad system was bringing news much faster than we'd ever seen it before. And so people were being inundated by news that was happening across the country or around the world through the telegraph. Graph, and he was saying that people were getting news faster than they could consume it, and Mm -hmm. it was it was in his view was very harmful to society. And so, if if he could only see us now, I I can't imagine what he would have to say. But I think that yeah, we we often think of um, our smartphones as a tool, Mm -hmm. right? Even mentioning you know something like the Rolodex, calendar, fax machine, we think about it on sort of the same playing field, even or even more base, like a like a hammer, right? A hammer exists; it's a tool. You Mm -hmm. go, you get it, and all it does is help you hit a nail. Mm -hmm. That's all it does. And then you put it down. But our phones are not like that. We don't put our phones down typically. We bring them with us. And Mm -hmm. so it's not a neutral tool like a hammer or a nail or something that just helps us accomplish our purposes or the things that we want to do, help us be more productive. Um, Instead, it does help us do stuff and it does stuff to us as well, right? The things that we do, do something to us and so in our that's maybe no more true in any area, any sphere of life than it is in our in our uh, digital lives yeah. with our phones. Yeah.
1: So, um, yeah, you're absolutely right uh, that um, because of that truth, then uh, a the whole point of discipleship, or, mm-hmm. or what, what, how can we, as we seek to honor God. Uh, with our lives and be a disciple of Jesus, it behooves us to take a hard look on uh, how the different things in our lives are affecting us. Mm. And uh, that's the big question that uh, he asks in this book. Is he, he's, it's not just a book about cell phones changing us, it's specifically how uh, do uh, smartphones um, affect the disciple of Jesus, mm. right? Because our yeah. aim, number one aim and our number one goal is to love God and to love people uh, better, right? We want to mm-hmm. love the Lord our God with all our heart, with all our mind, with all our soul, and with all our strength. And we want to love people as, uh, and, and love our neighbors as ourselves. And how are we doing at that? You know, mm-hmm. and, and more specifically, how is our smartphone impacting our ability to do that? Uh, specifically, he uh, kind of looks at it in these two different ways. Um, how is our phones changing our sense of identity? Mm-hmm. And how are our phones changing our sense of purpose on the earth? man, that's no more, no more fundamental than that. Um, and our identity is found in loving God and being loved by God, and our purpose is found in uh, loving God and loving people, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, so he, he puts it this way. He says, Jesus boils down the purpose and aim of our lives into two goals. Treasure God with your whole being, and then pour out your God-centered joy and love for others. On these two commands— all other smartphone laws depend, right? So <laughs> rather than just diving into the, uh, well, the all the different ways that our phones may be impacting us, uh, it, 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 he tries to really boil it down to how does it impact the way that we love God and love people.
0: Yeah. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, I like uh, what he says on page 20 in the introduction. He says it this way, and this is just a great diagnostic question as we're thinking about all of this, specifically in terms of application. He says, what is the best use of my smartphone in the flourishing of my life? And obviously that extends not to just how can I better use my smartphone while I'm looking at it to cause my flourishing and help me in my life, but what habits around our smartphones do we need to establish so that we can flourish in our lives in the way that we love God and love other people. Yeah, yeah.
1: So, uh, what what he does in the book then is that he um, wants to guide us as disciples of Christ mm-hmm. to ask some good questions, and, and also he, he one other thing I think is worth noting before we get into the the various questions that he asks yeah. is, man, we we tend to there there's all throughout the 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 centuries. Uh, Christians have uh, experienced new technologies coming in and have been threatened by them. Yeah. Because technologies always impact how we see ourselves and the world around us and people. Mm-hmm. It's it's impossible for it not to, as we've said. Um, they've reacted to it in a variety of ways. In a lo- there's a couple different approaches. One is to embrace it fully and pretend like it has no impact mm-hmm. or it doesn't matter. and That's not a good way to go about it. Uh, or it's to be very phobic of it and to be fearful and say, just yeah. throw it away. Uh, yeah. Let's uh, let's uh, get it out. No cell phone for me. Throw it in the trash. You know, um, <laughs> but really, and one of the things I love that Aranke does in his book here is that he allows our cell phone to be a window into our soul. Hmm. It shows what and how our cell phone, uh, our, our smartphones, are what, what they're revealing about who we are. What they're revealing, yeah. put another way, how we love God and how we love people. Yeah. It's a window. It's a, it reveals that to us. And so I encourage uh, Christians to not be afraid of their phone, uh, but to at, be a, able to ask some real honest and good questions to see what your phone is teaching you yeah. about who you are. And he puts it this way. He says that uh, technology is always an extension of the self. Mm-hmm. And Marshall McLuhan famously said that, mm-hmm. uh, like, you know, the, uh, uh, the fork, Is not just a fork, it's an extension of my hand, right? (laughs) And uh, he says it this way about the phone, he says, my phone, my smartphone, uh, my phone screen divulges in razor-sharp pixels what my heart really wants. This means that whatever happens on my smartphone, especially under the guise of anonymity, is the true expose of my heart reflected in full-color pixels back into my eyes. This is why we have passcodes, even says, because we're trying to protect people from gazing at our soul. You know, yeah. you know don't look at what I'm looking at. I don't want you to see yeah. what I, all my screen time habits and all that sort of thing. Um, and so, because that's true, uh, rather than just be afraid of that again, is to go, All right, Lord, show me. We, we are, as a disciple, we always want, right? We want yeah. to know. We, we, we want to love God more, and we want to love people. We want to be more in harmony with the Spirit of God, and uh, whenever there's an opportunity to see what's really going on, we should relish that, and our, phone, our phones are that. Yeah. And so that's the nature behind these questions, is to uh, do some self-discovery, Yeah, that's not good. to just learn about why phones are bad. If that's not what this podcast is about. That's not what this book's about. Cell phones... Smartphones, or whatever. Bad, 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 bad juju. Yeah. Stay away. Yeah we're, yeah, we're not the
0: we're not the luddites just trying to destroy the machines like during the industrial <laughs> yeah. revolution. Yeah. yeah, sure. Yeah, I think that, um, and I think not not just even for self evaluation, but even accountability of other people yes. as well. Right. I think our phones can be powerful tools for accountability, um, and we don't even like to talk about that, partially because our phones are so individualistic. I think even though it's all consuming, it sort of becomes a sphere of our lives that we don't want other people to comment on. Mm-hmm. Right. If you want to clear out a room? Just start asking people to show you their screen time. Yeah, you know, yeah. hey, what, what apps have you been spending time on? How much time yeah. did you spend on Facebook this yeah, week, yeah. and see how well that goes for you? Yeah, <laughs> but even yeah. as disciples, um, not just not just ourselves trying to grow in the Lord, but even as we're helping other people, as we are as we are iron sharpening iron, you know, keeping each other accountable with our smartphone habits and using those as windows into some of the idolatries and yeah. some of the things of, of both ourselves and other people as well. It's like yeah, be a helpful thing.
1: Yeah, yeah, I'm I'm convinced that. Uh, if Je- you know, Jesus always used good illustrations, right, to try yeah. to do what—to try to help us understand uh, uh, truth. Yeah, um, and so he would use things that people could understand to reveal some things. And I'm convinced that if he were uh, doing his teaching today, he would use smartphones mm. as an illustration <laughs> because they are so revealing. Because yeah, they are so revealing. And so um, now that said, you know, the, the bulk of the book is broken up into twelve chapters where hmm. uh, uh, Ranky uh, just describes twelve ways our phone is changing us. And we don't have time and uh, to in this podcast to. Discuss all of them, but I do want yeah. to begin by reading uh, just the the 12 of them, just to throw that out there. And then we're going to focus on a few of them. Um, so I'll just read them one by one. First is we are addicted to distraction.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Second, we ignore our flesh and blood. Three, we crave immediate approval. Four, we lose our literacy. Five, we feed on the produced. Six, we become like what we like, you know, in the, the Facebook sense. Seven, we get lonely. Eight, we get comfortable in secret vices. Nine, we lose meaning. Ten, we fear missing out. Eleven, we become harsh to one another. Twelve, we lose our place in time. So Mm. lots to talk about there, but uh, I want to first start with the chapter. The first uh, one he focuses on, which is we are addicted to distraction.
0: Yeah, and part of the reason why we're not diving into every chapter is because the goal is not just to um, tell you what the book is, yeah. right? The goal is to get you to read the book. <laughs> and so we, if anything, we just want to whet your appetite for um, for the content of the book. And so we'll just dive into a couple of these things and how they, how they apply to us and then let you read the rest. Good.
1: So uh, we are addicted to distraction. Uh, studies show mm-hmm. that uh, the more addicted we are to our phones, the more uh, depressed, anxious, uh, and, and anxious we are. Uh, also, we tend to concentrate less at work and get less sleep at night. Mm-hmm. And so, the distraction of our phones uh, we its an addiction. It's a full-on addiction where we're, mm-hmm. uh, uh, but we're not just addicted to the phone, but to the distraction the phone can be. Right. And so, there's three things that he says that um, uh, digital distractions uh, keep us away from. Because a distraction is just that, right? It's something, a distraction is something that keeps you away from something else, right? Yeah. So how are our phones doing that and why do we want that? Well, one, he says, we use digital distractions to keep work away, mm-hmm. right? So, <laughs> uh, again, the unique thing about the phone is that it's a distraction that didn't exist before. Yeah. But uh, our hearts longing for that distraction now have a device that facilitates that desire. Yeah. And so uh, in this, what happens uh, with uh, digital distractions, keeping work away, is that when life gets demanding, we crave something else. Yeah. When life gets hard, and there's all kinds of things. I, mean, I've, I've oft, I always tell my kids that uh, anything uh, worth your time is going to have aspects of it that are wonderful, delightful, and grueling, mm-hmm. right? It's work, right? So yeah. anything that's going to be productive, anything worth doing is going to have aspects of it that are just, Hard. It's hard. Yeah. Work is hard and wonderful yeah. if it's good work. Um, and so when yeah. you when life gets demanding, when responsibility begins to weigh on you, uh, you want to you crave something else, anything else. And our phones give us a wide variety of things to distract us. Yeah. I mean, an almost seemingly infinite Endless. variety <laughs> mm-hmm. of things to distract us because it's not just. I mean, think that's the things are so wild about these phones, man. Is that it's not you might say. Uh, like someone who's addicted to their phones because it gives them a gaming opportunity. They're entertained by games. You might be someone who goes, <laughs> "I don't do games. <laughs> That's not a, an issue for me. <laughs> I'm not one of those people." Those peasants. Or whatever. Yeah, those peasants. <laughs> <laughs> you, know, you might not be that person, but you might. But the, but the phone does more than games. It, it, yeah. it gives you a distraction to uh, news. You know, oh, yeah. if you're someone who's tends to be, uh, you know, really, well, I want to know what's going on in the world. Well, your phone. You used to have to wait for the paper to come in the morning. Right. Now you can get it right now. As we've been talking, there's news that has come that we're missing out on, man. Yeah. <laughs> uh, oh, I've got my phone right here. Oh, yeah. You can check it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, things that are helpful. Yeah. Things that you go, I'd like to know how to uh, fix a transmission on my car or whatever. You know, you, sure. can, you can get distracted by that or uh, just curiosities or it could be just trivial stuff. I, I'll yeah. just be honest with myself, is that, or with with y'all, is that, I I've I've, I've never been like the clickbait guy, like sure. know, oh, oh what happened there, oh what yeah. happened there. You're never gonna believe this. Yeah, that that was never a distraction for me. So when I first started reading this, like we're addicted to distractions, like well, yeah, I, I don't like to be distracted <laughs> those that people way. are. But yeah, yeah. yeah but then I <laughs> started talking about uh, you can be addicted to it, uh, trivial stuff. Yeah. It's like, Oh boy, because I love I'm I'm curious about I'm a curious person. I get curious about things and. Ever since I've had my smartphone, I've been – I delight in the fact that any curiosity I have, I yeah. can find the answer to it. Yeah. It used to be hard. You have to go – I mean there's some questions that I have or would have and I realize I can never get to the answer to that.
0: Right, yeah, I, I could never yeah, unless I went and say it's
1: about like a person that I yeah. is interesting to me. I'm not going to get that information. I have to meet them mm-hmm. or happen to see them on the Carson show or something. <laughs> going way back, right? <laughs> <laughs> How old are you? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> you know what, you, you go. I have to. Oh, yeah, look, they're going to talk. Anyways. But now, if you have that question right now, you can just yeah. find it. And so that's because I'm a oh, curious guy. I, I do that all the time. And so yeah, uh, it just. Dist- but, but those distractions of all kinds of varieties, and we just named a few here, are things that keep us away from having to do the grueling work
0: yeah, yeah. I think I uh, recently saw a, a video well, on Facebook, of course, <laughs> but it was a psychologist talking about smartphone addiction, and he was saying that if you go into, um, if you go into the workplace, like a place with a bunch of cubicles, it's really interesting evaluating the way different generations interact with their phones during work hours, mm. right? And so he said, for example, um, often older generations they still have a phone and it's usually on the desk, off to the side, kind of like ours are now, right? Mm-hmm. And they they would be working and they might get an Notification. They work a little bit more. And then, you know, periodically they might pick it up, check it, do something. And he said, but the younger people, millennials and Gen Z below them, he says, they always have their phone in between their hands while they're typing on their keyboard. Interesting. And so they're typing. Bring. They can just get right to it. Interesting. And then they work. And so he was talking about um, just the addict, obviously the addictive nature of smartphones. But even over generations, the generation that has grown up with it, they literally can't live without it. It has to be the central aspect of what draws their attention in, even during working hours. They're on the clock. They're getting yeah. paid for yeah. those hours, yeah. you know, data entry, whatever it is they're doing. Yeah, um, And they have to be there. And so often, whether it's Games, whether it's information, you know, and I, yeah, I, I'm, I'm the same way. I love information, and I love having access to endless information. You know, I yeah. can at any, time, yeah, at any given time. Yeah, at any given time, I could. I was, I was uh, testing this out earlier today. If you type in there, there's, you know, certain things you can look at on Google, and you can get 25 billion results on Google. In 0.5 seconds <laughs> yeah. to just about anything you yeah. search for, 25 billion results, and so any question that you have, you can get answered to some degree. And so, yeah, whether it's information or games or even communication, oftentimes we trick ourselves into thinking, oh, it's because I'm 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 seeing what my friends are doing on Facebook or Snapchat or Instagram, and so we trick ourselves into thinking that oh no no this is this is meaningful because it's yeah. it's uh, it's fostering relationship as sure. we'll get into a little bit later talking about how it actually doesn't foster. A relationship. Yeah. But I love what Ranky says on page 191. He talks about how uh, certainly our smartphones, they sort of give way to embarrassing sins or a variety of different vices. But he says one of the most uh, debilitating things in the nature of distraction is that it we, we give ourselves over to what he calls routines of nothingness routines of nothingness. And so whether it's a game, whether it's useless information or even important information, it's often a lot less important than we think it is, right? Yeah. And yeah. so we give ourselves over to these things and that, that shapes us and changes us and distracts us.
1: Yeah, and uh, he, uh, he quotes from C.S. Lewis, uh, where uh, C.S. Lewis talks about in the uh, screw Tape Letters hmm. um, where uh, that one of the ways that the enemy, the devil, oh, distracts yeah. us or not yeah. distracts you know, their one of the tactics of yeah. the enemy uh, is uh, nothing, the, what's called the nothing strategy. And that's on that page, actually. <laughs> 191, oh, I see it here as yeah, well. Cool. I, had it, I had it bookmarked, but uh, uh, page 191 where he says, uh, what I am coming to understand is that the impulse to pull the lever, lever of a random slot machine of viral content is the age-old tactic of Satan. C.S. Lewis called it the nothing strategy in his screw tape letters. Mm -hmm. It is the strategy that eventually leaves a man at the end of his life looking back and lament. I now see, he says, that I spent most of my life in doing neither what I ought nor what I liked. This nothing strategy is very strong, strong enough to steal away a man's best years, not in sweet sins, but in a dreary flickering of the mind over it knows not what and knows not why, in the gratification of curiosity so feeble that the man is only half aware of them, or in the long dim mm-hmm. labyrinth of reveries that have not even lust or ambition to give them a relish, but which once chance association has started them, the creature is too weak and fuddled to shake off. He mm-hmm. goes on to say how satan's nothing strategy aims at feeding us endlessly scrolling words images and videos that dull our affections instead of invigorating our joy and preparing us to give ourselves
0: in love Oh, well, Yeah, I remember um, specifically in, in the Screwtape letters, it's probably the same, the same chapter that he's same letter that he's talking about, but there's a, uh, a subject, Screwtape's talking to Wormwood about this particular subject that Screwtape had worked on long ago. And he was a devout atheist his whole life. And he talks about this one particular time where he was right on the brink of belief, This subject. And he was in an art museum, staring at just a beautiful painting and just being confronted with really the reality of beauty and saying, how why do I find this beautiful where does this come from? And it said instead of a uh, screw tape coming at him with a vicious attack or making himself visible or some, some, you know, horrible lust or vice, something like that. Instead, what he did was he gave him just a small pang of physical hunger hmm. instead of. And so he, he was pulled out of this, this self-evaluation and right on the brink of belief. Oh. And he said, and then I thought, you know, the subject says, and then I thought to myself, I haven't had a sandwich yet. And the thought left and he remained yeah. an atheist the rest of his life because of that. And so just those small distractions, whatever they are, can often stop us and our phones are better than, at that than yeah. anything else, stopping us from really asking the big questions yeah. that, that God wants us to ask. Yeah.
1: yeah and so um, uh, in the uh, the first thing he mentions is that uh, how it keeps us away from uh, work. Right, right. So enduring through and doing that which is difficult. And I think the question for the yeah. disciple in that moment is, you know, doing what we want versus what we ought.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. There's lots of times that we ought to do things that are hard, but we have an option to do something that we just want to do. Mm-hmm. And that keeps us away from doing the work that is necessary to be productive in life. Yeah. Um, and uh, the second thing he mentions is that we use digital distractions to keep people away. Mm. Uh, in the digital age, we are, he says. In the digital age, we are especially slow to associate with the lowly around us. Instead, we retreat into our phones, projecting our scorn for complex situations or for boring people. In both <laughs> cases, when we grab our phones, we air our sense of superiority to others without knowing it. And what he means by that is that if you're in a group of people. You're sitting in the waiting room of the dentist office or something. It um, used to be you sat next to a person, you know, the idea was maybe I should talk to this person. Mm-hmm. But now what is everyone doing? They're just they're doing this. Yeah. And when you're doing that, it creates a barrier between you and that other person. And so uh, this distraction, because it's so compelling, we, don't, uh, we, we were drawn into that. And it actually it keeps us from work and it keeps us from uh, um, people. It keeps us from engaging with the people that as Christians we've been called to Right, right. We salt and light, but the distractions keeps us in our own little bubble, our own little digital bubble. The third thing he mentions is that we use—and this is a heady sort of uh, thought, but we use—and it it taps into what you were mentioning about uh, the painting with uh, the screw tape letters—is we use digital distractions to keep thoughts of eternity away. Hmm. Yeah, yeah. And this is huge in terms of how the distraction that's available to us through our phones keeps— our thoughts of eternity away. He says, the human appetite for distraction is high in every age because distractions give us easy escape from the silence and solitude whereby we become acquainted with our finitude, hmm. our inescapable mortality, and the distance of God for all from all other desires, hopes, and pleasures. And to hmm. numb uh, this emptiness... Because yeah. there's an empty. There's a. The idea is, if you're in solitude and you're really asking the hard questions, like, like he was with that painting, right? Asking the really serious and uh, questions that all beings, all humans, must ask. Rather than allowing uh, our hearts and minds to go there and grapple with some of these big decisions, we stay okay. so on the surface, and instead, we can be distracted to learn, you know, how a lightsaber was made. <laughs> with the Kyber so it's crystals and like a personal all that. distraction.
0: Yeah.
1: <laughs> you know, so rather than asking those hard questions, those important questions, those things that really matter, uh, we're, we're actually numbed from the emptiness that compels us to ask those questions. Yeah. There's an emptiness that we yeah. discover in our solitude. There's a... Uh, um, and, and so we're... Uh, what we do is to numb that emptiness, we turn to a powerful non-pharmaceutical antidepressant as Ranky <laughs> calls it. Um... And so wow. what happens is, is it rather because we still have that emptiness and that need, and uh, the philosophical maxim used to be "I think, therefore I am," yeah. but he suggests he is, but that's been replaced. Ranki suggests with the digital motto, "I connect, therefore I am." Ah, interesting. Which that's leads to the status desire about why do I have significance? I am liked, you know, in the social yeah. media sense. Yeah. Therefore, I am. Hmm.
0: That's fascinating. So,
1: yeah. I mean, so it's not—again, yeah. it's not just a technology that helps us, right?
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: It's something that can distract us from uh, answering the most important questions that one could ask.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I ran across this quote a couple of weeks ago, and it, um, it's really stuck with me. It goes like this. Uh, this. This author, he says, "'All of humanity's problems stem from man's inability to sit quietly in a room alone.'" Hmm. And you know who said that? Yeah. It was Blaise Pascal oh, yeah, yeah. in the yeah. year 1670. He said that. <laughs> what was there to distract people in 1670? Yeah. You know, were they chasing yeah. sticks? <laughs> like, what did people do? And so, again, if if he could see So, you know, the, the issue of distraction has been with us forever. Yeah. He says all of humanity's problems are because we can't sit quietly in a single yeah. room. Yeah. And so um, distractions have been with us forever, but especially just the the kind of ubiquitous nature of any distraction, not, not just distraction, Distractions that happen to us from the outside, but distractions that we choose, right? This is sort of the first time in history that we've been able to choose whatever distraction we want to stop ourselves from, for example, the guilt that picks at our hearts, Mm -hmm. to stop ourselves from the boredom that forces us to ask hard questions yeah. that forces us to ask eternal questions and so we are we are masters of distraction and the phone is a very easy lever to pull on to get whatever it is exactly. that we want to have
1: yeah and that and that brings up a really good point that in helping us understand that it's not that our phones are evil we're evil yeah <laughs> right <laughs> right right so right. the distraction the yeah. desire for distraction to avoid work people and asking the tough questions and really uh, do yeah. business with god has always existed yeah. And whether it was a stick that we could utilize for our pleasure <laughs> <laughs> or any amount of distraction. The point is that the, about the smartphone is that it's far better than – it's the yeah. most effective distraction. Yes. We've yes. wanted – the problem is not the distraction. The problem is our desire for distraction.
0: Right. Yeah. And so
1: that's where even as we're having this conversation, anyone who's listening to this is to be honest about your desire for distraction. Yeah. And how you're employing your phone to aid and abed mm-hmm. that pursuit. Yeah. That's an important thing. Uh, and what happens, though, is as we do that more and more and more, these distractions interrupt what? Our, our sense of identity mm-hmm. and our, our sense of uh, what the telos or our, our purpose, right? You know, yeah. the, so there's okay. um, our ability to love God and love people. It gets yeah. in the way. And uh, like what he says, uh, Ranky says at one point, he says, My phone. Uh, conditions me to be a passive observer. Hmm. One of the things that's interesting about with these distract- when you're distracted all the time, um, the unique thing about the phone is that you're not distracted to engagement, you're distracted to observe something at a far distance. Yeah. Right? <laughs> and so you nurture this part of you that just becomes a passive observer. He so says, the more distracted we are digitally, the more displaced we are spiritually. So these distractions matter, and they greatly impact uh, the way that we love God and love people. Um, And there's a variety of ways that our smartphone uh, does that, as we've uh, talked about smartphone, smartphone, (laughs) our smartphone (laughs) does that. Uh, But specifically, one of the uh, huge, huge parts of um, smartphones is social media. Mm, Yeah. And not just the existence of social media, but our connection to it, and the way that shapes our relationships, the way that shapes the way we see ourselves, and um, not just our our self self, but our digital self, Mm -hmm. and how um, we see our digital self, and how that impacts the way we treat one another in the digital world, but also in the real world, our real world relationships. So um, one of the chapters is called, We Become What We Like. So when you're on Facebook or various social media things, you like different things that people say, right? And so uh, and so we want to like certain things, but also we want to be liked. So we want the product that we put out there to be liked. For example, whenever we – when we put this thing out there, I hope it gets liked, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's right. But, uh, we, we But we, that, that will obsess us. That, that plays a role in just – not that plays a role not just in um, giving us data on, oh, that was a worthwhile thing that I shared – it gives me a sense of self. Mm-hmm. So uh, what Aranke says is, we are not who we think we are. We are not even who others think we are. We who we are who we think others think we are. <laughs> in other words, we think that uh, we think other, in other words, what we think other people think about us profoundly shapes our sense of identity and our sense, uh, our search for belonging. So uh there's this guy who um, – and so, so when, because we caught up in that whole thing, it, it, obviously we're, anyone who's ever been in social media can see how much that can consume you, right? Mm-hmm. We want approval. We desire to be liked and it draws us in. But it, again, it's not just that we're drawn into the social media world. It impacts the way we impact uh, – we have relationships with other people, mm-hmm. people we care about. There's a graduate student that Taranki mentions that uh, did an experiment. He says no social media, no smartphone for a season of time. And after he had done that a good long while, his wife said this to them. She said, man, everything's changed. Hmm. Everything's changed in the way that we relate. So his relationship with his wife was profoundly impacted just because he was engaged in social media, not doing anything negative. Right. So, you know, obviously you could be negatively impacted by doing strange things on social media. <laughs> but just the fact that he was engaged in social media, she said this, it was difficult to talk about deeper things that mattered because you are constantly distracted by internet litter. You are now able to focus and give necessary attention to deeper issues. More of what we talk about comes from
0: your heart rather than your Twitter feed. Wow, interesting. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's so fascinating how so much of our conversations with one another is just parroting something that we see online, mm-hmm. You know, whether it's political commentator or whether it's a funny meme or an article that we liked or found helpful or informative. So not even necessarily bad things, but just things that we just simply parrot because – and frankly, I think part of that is because we find those things more interesting than normal face-to-face conversations that are not informed by those things. And so we want other people to be interested by the same things we're interested in. Yeah. I remember um, hearing – I think it was on the John Tesh show. Uh, <laughs> so this was going back. A little ways. I know, I know you're a big John Tesh fan. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> big band jazz. Yeah. yeah. So that when my walk, and I always listened to John Tesh. <laughs> That's Not really. It right, was but... always on 103.3. <laughs> Anyways, what um, he was saying was it was a study that he did between, or not he, but that he was quoting, uh, that they did between married couples and the impact of social media on uh, marriage conversations. And so oftentimes when you're married, one of the important parts of uh, relational connection is just finding out how your spouse's day was. What'd you do? What was your high? What was your low? What were things that were hurtful? How can I pray for you? All of those those conversations and questions are important. And because of social media, what was happening was um, oftentimes when you get home, if your spouse or significant other has been updating their status, then you already know what their day was like. And so yeah. he was saying it was it was harming um, it was harming relationships because you wouldn't have anything to talk about hmm. anymore, <laughs> hmm. and it wasn't just you who knew about those things, and so it wasn't, yeah, it, wasn't re- it wasn't even relationally building in the way it could have been, um, because it's you and a thousand other people who happen yeah. to yeah. know yeah. what your day was like and what you ate for lunch and how many peanuts were in your peanut butter and jelly or whatever it was, yeah. Yeah. and so it, it yeah just one way that it threatens uh, meaningful conversation the stuff yeah <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's right peanuts.
1: Well, uh, you know, that leads – so because it impacts the uh, real-world relationships as opposed to the digital world relationships, um, one of the things that happens is we get lonely. That was one of the chapters. We get lonely. That's one of the ways our smartphones are shaping us is we get lonely. And actually Mm -hmm. one of the big questions that people are asking uh, is why with such crazy connection through our smartphones, through the internet – in a hyperconnected digital age, why does such loneliness persist? And it's something mm-hmm. that absolutely does, is that people feel more lonely in some respects than they ever did. Uh, and yet, um, we, we f- should be connected. We feel like it. But technology and isolation go hand in hand. Mm-hmm. Every technology has always been a way of isolating us uh, or has is, is, is helped us be isolated in some form. Uh, or another, right? Uh, So, and cell phones are no, or uh, uh, smartphones are no difference. Uh, But one of the difference that it, it ways that it does that, let's take example of like, if you're a technology um, that allows you to plow a field with just one instrument, as opposed to using a team of people (laughs) that you had to deal with and work with and befriend and work together as a team. Now, you can just do it by yourself. And now yeah. attractors, There's attractors that are just, you know, GPS yeah. driven, right? It doesn't even take anybody, right? So <laughs> it just is more and more isolated, isolating. Yeah. And uh, that really impacts how we see ourselves and how we impact and relate to other people. We see ourselves, the more we're drawn into the digital world through social media, we see our digital self and we see ourselves as they appear on our cell phones. Yeah. We see ourselves in high def on a screen that's clean. But the real world is messy.
0: Yeah.
1: People are messy. Uh, Ryan says that uh, you know, everywhere a person, a real person, touches, they leave an oily smudge, a greasy smudge. That's that's the truth. That's just the way it is. And yet we feel like we can distance ourselves from that in the uh, through uh, social media through this uh, digital reality that we get to experiment with and 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 do. And so we end up becoming lonely because the more we satisfy our Try to satisfy our sense of connection through that. We actually distance ourselves from from people.
0: Huh, interesting. Yeah, I think it's uh, so often we we want to be. The projection of ourself that we put forward on social media, sure. right? And you see it obviously through things like online dating, um, but you see it through Facebook, Instagram, you see it everywhere, right? Why does Instagram have filters? Because people like the filtered version of themselves much more than they like the real version of themselves so yeah. often. Even uh, <laughs> yeah <laughs> kind of a funny cultural reference, but uh, there's an episode of The Office, and, you know you've seen where um, Dwight, one of the characters, he uh, was playing this game called a Second Life, and it's this whole idea of you create this digital version of yourself, <laughs> and then you get to play around and do different things. Yeah. And so you can you can be anybody, right? You could be a rock star. You could be, do whatever you want. Yeah. And so, but what Dwight did was he perfectly recreated himself, except for one small God. change. He could fly. <laughs> 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 and so he's just a normal paper salesman from this tiny town, yeah. except he would just take off and like fly, <laughs> fly all over randomly the place. throughout the, yeah. Throughout yeah. the city. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so, but even that is just, uh, it's, it's a projection of yourself, right? And so, man, I wish I was exactly the same except I could fly that would be
1: awesome on that same show he yeah. uh, he had his second life character create his own second life character. that's right so going deeper and deeper yeah. into that craziness yeah. yeah second life inception yeah <laughs> well, uh, uh, Reinki mentions uh, just with as that happens, right? Because you know, what's interesting yeah. about that, that whole second life thing is you have this second life that is ideal in some ways, but it's completely separated from reality. And even in that, he even created another set degree of separation there. Right, right. Um, but there's this weird reversal that happens that Reinki mm-hmm. mentions. Uh, there's a reversal where we want to be— on the one hand, we want to be more connected, but we end up being more isolated. And he puts it this way, the smartphone is causing a social reversal, the desire to be alone in public— and never alone in seclusion. Mm, yeah, that's good. we can be shielded in public and surrounded in isolation. Meaning we can escape the awkwardness of human interaction on the street and the boredom of solitude in our homes, or so we think. Yeah. yeah. So there's this place where we realize people are messy. People yeah. are, are are awkward, and so uh, or they could potentially awkward. I mean, various interactions just can be awkward. But in the social media realm, it can be not that obviously. Social media can be quite awkward and uncomfortable, but you can escape it pretty easily, sure. right? Whereas, if, if say someone if someone asked you a probing question in face to face, you have to answer it. You you're, you're stuck. You can't just. Uh, whereas if someone sent you a text. You could get back to them like four days later if you wanted
0: to. Or not at all if you to. Or not at all. To. Yeah,
1: yeah. <laughs> um, so that, that creates... Um, so in a desire to avoid the awkward, we tried to dive into social media. And so you can be in public and be completely isolated, not interacting with any flesh and blood person. But then when you're completely alone, you feel connected. But none of it's real.
0: Yeah. Because
1: when you're with people, you're in at the fake world. And yeah. when you're alone... You're not you know, embracing solitude or you're not with people, but you're trying to feel connected. And so it's, yeah. it creates a weird, weird uh, situation for yeah.
0: folks. I think you even notice that um, even in just physical posture, You know, if you're walking through the mall or on an airplane, you see this notoriously, <laughs> people with their headphones in and just completely crouched over their phones, yeah. right? Even just the curve of the back, it's it's really – it's off-putting in terms of relationship, right? And so if you're walking through the mall, there's not a lot of people who are on their phone that you think, I want to walk up and talk to them. They look like they're hungry for relationship. I'm going to go talk to them, yeah. and so even the physical posture um, that that being on our phone creates, it creates a sense of isolation, even if we're in a public space like a mall or mm-hmm. a coffee yeah. shop or something like Isolated that. Isolated
1: right in public.
0: Yeah, and so it's it's uh, it's bizarre, and I think it it one of the kind of funny things is that when you see somebody who's not on their phone, we've, we're so trained to just pull out our phones if there's any moment of boredom for waiting for a coffee or drinking a coffee or whatever it is. Yeah, that even right. when you see somebody who's not on their phone. It Looks weird, yeah, right? You're yeah, not you're yeah. not used to it. Yeah. So there's this funny uh, meme that I saw online, and it uh, it says something along the lines of: I went to Starbucks the other day, and I saw a guy sitting there just drinking his coffee, no phone, no tablet, nothing, like a psychopath. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and it's so true. Like picturing a coffee shop mm-hmm. full of people on their phones, except for one guy mm, just
1: taking it all in.
0: Yeah, it's weird. Like, what what is he planning? Is he okay? (laughs) Why doesn't he have a phone? (laughs)
1: Yeah, yeah. And, you know, I think that isolates us in a couple different ways. Uh, One is that we avoid the real relationships and the awkwardness. Yeah, you do avoid some of the awkwardness, but you also uh, avoid the uh, benefit of that awkwardness. And Reichen put it this way. He says, this is where the the advantages of embodied awkwardness come into play. The most shaping conversations we need are full of friction and we simply cannot have them on our frictionless phones. Yeah. Or I would even go on to add that uh, when friction does occur on social media, it's never resolved in a way that is pleasing. It's never resolved yeah. in a way that you can it's really do. Helpful. You need to be face-to-face where you can see the affect of the person uh, talking to you and whatnot. So, um, so I think it isolates us in that way, that we, we, or the isolation impacts us in that we're not being shaped by one another in a way that community, the community of Christ is designed to. Community, uh, shape us in ways that are uh, good. So anyway, the, the, the so we avoid those awkward situations that we need. And one of the ways that we're able to do that is if we're living our life in social media, if we're getting our sense of connectivity through that and that alone, not through... One, we're, we're, we're going to ignore people that need us, but also mm-hmm. we're going to ignore, ignore all kinds of things that we need to hear to grow. And you see that show up in social media, just the way the algorithms are set up and whatnot. Is the the what comes through on your feed is uh, basically an echo chamber. Mm-hmm. It's people that agree with you, right? Mm-hmm. Or people that you know you become what you like. <laughs> so yeah. so you all we're hearing and and is 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 people that disagree, don't or people agree with our basic point of view yeah. and so our point of view is never challenged and boy do we need our point of view challenged and what is another way that so that's what happens and so the idea of someone coming in that's saying something that is displeasing to us or cuts against the grain of what we like rather than actually working it out with that person and trying to grow together and to find Either resolve or just to listen to another point of view, not in a relativistic way, but in a way that is um, courteous, kind, helpful, is that we actually, because we live so much of our life in social media, we lose the ability to disagree with one another.
0: Yeah. How
1: do you face to face actually disagree? And I think a big part of the the way people treat one another in our culture these days that is just so impolite, so lacking in kindness and whatnot, and whatnot is that we're losing – we're not nurturing that part of us that has to listen to another person. Because on social media, you just stop, mute, move on, yeah. block or whatever, <laughs> and you don't have to endure. Yeah. That. And that was never an option before. Right. You couldn't do that. You were you were in relation with people and you had to work it out. Now yeah. we don't have to. <laughs> yeah. And we get used to that and it becomes easy to just, um, uh, and, and, and so relationship with one another ends up breaking down.
0: Yeah, I think that um, even things that, you know, because I'll, I'll see a lot of things on my social media newsfeed that I disagree with, but it's always through the lens of something that I do agree with, right? It's somebody mm-hmm. sharing something going, isn't this terrible? Or it's, you know, oh, I'll hear sure. a position that I disagree with spliced in with commentary mm-hmm. that I do agree with, sure. right? Breaking yeah. down a certain yeah. argument yeah. that I don't like or something like that as opposed to actually hearing the <laughs> argument out and having to do the the reasoning work, the actual hard brain work of dissecting any given argument. Yeah. And letting it both, one, nuance my position and two, strengthen my argument against whatever that argument is. Good. And so we completely lose that if all we listen to is commentary breaking down the things that we don't like. Yeah. So it's either something that I totally agree with or something I don't agree with through the filter of something that I do agree with. Yeah. Yeah. And so it, yeah. it becomes a vicious cycle. <laughs> yeah. And,
1: and One of the reasons why we – one of the things, there's other things, but uh, uh, that's added to the polarization mm-hmm. that we see is that. Yeah. Is yeah. that very thing. Yeah. Um, so uh, that actually is a good segue into uh, another. The last section I want to look at here is how us, our phones are shaping us in the in the sense that we um, how it aids and abeds our sin.
0: Yeah.
1: So not just our ability to love God and love people well. Obviously, not doing that well is sinful. But specifically, how does the our phones shape us and, and give us a um, an avenue to sin in a way that is easier than maybe it is another. Other other situations, and one of them is uh, what's called FOMO, the fear of missing out.
0: Mm-hmm. One of the things
1: that drives our interaction with our phone and the the, the, the constant connection to our phones is fear of missing out. Uh, we are afraid we're going to miss that like on Facebook that we may have seen, that approval that we wanted. We're going to miss the new news story. We're going to miss and see what happened with those friends on Facebook, or we're we're going to miss out. We're fear we're fearful of missing out. And there's a real anxiety that exists in people. Uh, being disconnected from the phone. We get so used to connected to anything and everything that if we don't have it, we're, we're missing out it is in 10 minutes or whatever it is. Um, and what Reinke mentions about this in uh, one of the chapter on this uh, topic is that it's an ancient thing. It's an ancient tactic of the enemy to sabotage a relationship with God. It was what happened in the garden, right? Eve mm-hmm. was tempted, and she had a fear of missing out. Yeah, If I don't eat this fruit... I'm not going to get the things that I might otherwise have. And so she gave into that. And so think of it this way, disciples of Jesus. Every time you feel that pang in you of fear of missing out that guides you to your phone, you're responding to the same urge that drove Eve to the fruit. Hmm. Wow. So it's not a neutral thing as we've been talking about. Yeah. And so yeah. uh, that's one way is that we're, we're nurturing that part of us that I don't want to miss out as opposed to doing something that would be life-giving or improving my relationship with the Lord or in, in investing in other people in a meaningful
0: uh, way. That's good. So what are, what are uh, maybe some other – are there any other vices other than just the fear of missing out or any other sins that our smartphones can enable in us? Yeah,
1: yeah. There's um, you know one of the – he has a whole chapter on the fact that uh, we become comfortable in secret vices. Because mm-hmm. of anonymity, um, we end up uh, giving in to all kinds of sins. <laughs> one yeah. of those is uh, pornography is a big, mm-hmm. big, huge presence on the internet, of course.
0: Yeah, it's the yeah, internet's biggest business. That's yeah, yeah. It's so sort of
1: sad where there's yeah. – and so, the, and that's just one example. It's probably the prime example, but uh, a variety of um, secret vices. Where it used to be um, that in order to engage in pornography, as an example, you had to uh, uh, be a certain age to even get it. You had to go to a store in like a seedy part of town or something, or I don't know. You had to, you had to, you had to go past all these barriers that would make you likely uncomfortable to apprehend it. And now all of those barriers are removed yeah all of those berries are removed and so um, because of uh, the, the, the availability of those things it uh, allows us to uh, be trapped and, and actually find a comfort uh, in, in secret vices
0: yeah one of the things he says on uh, page 133 he says anonymity is where sin flourishes yeah. and there's again to go back to the garden there's a deep connection between sin and isolation right And so as soon as Adam and Eve sin, what do they do? They hid. And God had to come and said, Adam, where are you hiding? Yeah. And it's not because God didn't know where they were, right? He wasn't, wasn't playing hide and seek. Right, but he knew that they were isolating themselves for the first time ever because of the guilt and the shame and the sin yeah. and the f- really the fear of missing out <laughs> that yeah. they gave into, and so and in the same way the the anonymity that our smartphone gives us that that supposed wall of protection that we think we have the instant access um, it's just a you know a love intimacy fake intimacy it's just a click away it's just a just a search item away yeah. and what's crazy about the smartphone again is it's not even something that we have to search for anymore. It gets delivered straight to our inbox mm-hmm. when we don't want it to. You know, yeah, we'll sure. be surfing Instagram and an ad will pop up and That's it's true. just right there. And so we need to be so careful when it comes to mm-hmm. um, especially the issue of sexual purity online um, because it's just such a, such a monumental, um, destructive force, even in the church.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: Um,
1: yeah, The percent he lists some of the percentages. I don't have them right now in my mind, but uh, they're quite high. And you listen yeah. up by age, about how many people are having pornography be a regular part of their lives, um, and again, it's not the the phone's not the problem. It's our it creates access to yeah. allow our heart to do what it already wanted to do, and so you have to be very vigilant. And Jesus said, if your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it is better uh, that you lose one of your members than uh, your whole body to be thrown into hell. And what Ranky says is, it'd be better to throw out your cell phone. Yeah. your smartphone, uh, than uh, to be uh, you have your whole body thrown into hell. And so something to think about as you're, uh, again, how is my phone shaping me? Uh, how, to ask the honest question, how um, is my smartphone allowing me to engage in vices mm-hmm. and sin in a way that uh, people may not see, but God sees?
0: Yeah, that's right. Yeah.
1: Um, another way that we sin is that we become harsh to one another. And obviously that exists on social media in a big, big, big time way. And one of the ways is uh, slander. We end up slanderizing one another. Mm. Um, and uh, we think that if it's true, then it's okay to share. But the Bible is really clear on how we're supposed to engage with one another. And so if we, dis- if we see someone doing something that's wrong, um, we tend to not pay attention to Matthew 18, which says if someone sins against you, go to them. And there's a whole process that we're supposed to go to with one aim in mind, restore that relationship. Yeah. Uh, Or if someone uh, does something that is, uh, you know, out of bounds, and uh, uh, James says, do not speak evil against one another. Uh, The one who speaks against his brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge, there's only one lawgiver and judge, and he uh, who is able to save and to destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbor? And so there's this whole mm-hmm. section in there about talking about how we so often engage in slander, which is a sin. Now, this yeah. means you don't speak out against injustice. Uh, that's actually a great tool that uh, social media can be, is that if there's injustice going on, to be able to yeah. speak out and to speak truth into that situation. So in mean, no way, he is not nor am I advocating that we be blind to injustice, but the motive behind it is are we um, trying to help or are we trying to hurt?
0: Yeah, that's good. Yeah, I think one good uh, um, just sort of rubric that I run my try to run my Facebook comments through is on if it's uh, responding to any given person especially, I think, would I say what I'm about to say yeah. if I was sitting across the table from sure. this person, if I took them out to coffee? am I willing to take them out to coffee to restore them, right? Is this a sin that I want to confront to their face for the purpose of restoration? Or does it feel good to say something? Does it feel good to blast them? Does it make me feel better about myself to do that?
1: Yeah, good. Um, uh, Well, there's so much we could talk about with all this, and we could go on and on and on and on and on and on. It's it's a huge topic, which is why I think, man, get the book and read it and really (laughs) do some self-assessment. What I want to close out with... Uh, here is uh, two lists of questions that he provides mm-hmm. that we ask ourselves to see how we're doing in these areas. And uh, the first one is right in line with what you were just saying. Uh, is these before you? So there's two ways uh, to think through how your phone is coming in and impacting you or the content of your phone, but also what's going out. What are you putting out there? Yeah. And so this is in line with that. Uh, before you say something in social media, ask these kinds of questions. Will this ultimately glorify me or God? Before you post anything, before you say anything, Put that be, what, are, is this glorifying you or God? Uh, will this stir or muffle healthy affections for Christ? Will this merely document that I know something that others don't? <laughs> will this misrepresent me, or is it authentic? Will this potentially breed jealousy in others? Will this fortify unity or stir up unnecessary division? Mm-hmm. Will this build up or tear down? Will this heap guilt or relieve it? Will this fuel lust for sin or warn against it? Will this overpromise and instill false hope in others? Hmm. So some good questions good. to ask. Yeah. I think I think one of the big lessons with this whole that this whole book is, is that be mindful. This really again don't just pretend the phone is not shaping you or is not uh, impacting the world around you, uh, you and the way the way you love God and the way you love your 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 people, <laughs> yeah. uh, your neighbors. Yeah. Um, so those are some good questions to ask on that line. And then on um, another place, he talks about some things uh, that we uh, ought to think through in terms of our. Habits online, or our our phone habits. And so uh, there's 12 of them, so I'll just read them out loud. And if you want to comment on any of them, just speak up. Sounds good. All right. (laughs) All right. Turn off all non essential push notifications, delete expired non essential and time wasting apps. At night, keep your phone out of the bedroom. Use a real alarm clock, not your phone alarm, to keep the phone out of your hands in the morning. Uh, Maybe you'd mentioned uh, uh, when we were talking before, not not on the podcast, but uh, kind of a three-point rule about uh – uh, um, you know, Bible before. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That? There's
0: a, uh, it's a book, I forget the author's name, but the book is called The Common Rule, and it's built around the whole idea of sort of a system of habits that um, are healthy for the Christian to hold, and a couple of them uh, related to just basic devotions, but a lot of them related to our, our habits in relation to our phones. And so a couple of things that he mentioned is one is um, when you wake up in the morning, go to scripture before you go to your phone. Don't let your phone be the first thing that you grab in the morning. And I would add, don't let it be the last thing Mm -hmm. that you put down in the evening, right? There are far more meaningful things that we can be picking up um, than our phones. And so that was one of them. And then another one was... um, Turn off your phone or put it in a drawer, lock it, throw it in a lake, whatever, for at least an hour a day. Um, maybe not throw it in a lake so you'd have to get it out, yeah. but shut it off for an hour a day just to spend one hour per day focusing on being present in your present moment. And then um, the third thing was, um, I believe it was around the whole idea of Sabbath and taking, taking an extended period of time, a Sabbath day, whether it's once a week, even if it's a fast once a month, just to be completely away from your phone, just leave it in the other room shut it off and just leave it there, right? The the news cycle can be picked up tomorrow and it'll be just as crazy tomorrow. Don't worry. You'll have plenty to be worried about tomorrow (laughs) if you
1: wait a day. Uh, Guard your morning disciplines, another one he says, um, and evening sleep patterns by using your phone, setting the mute notifications between one hour before bedtime to a time when you can reasonably expect to be finished with digital or personal disciplines in the morning. So kind of what you were talking about there. Uh, Use self-restricting apps to limit your smartphone functions and the amount of time you invest in various platforms. Recognize that much of what you respond to quickly can wait. Respond at a later, more convenient time. Even if you need to read emails on your smartphone, use strategic points during the day to respond to those emails. And he does like 9 and 4. You know, that's just the only time he checks for emails is 9 and 4. Yeah. Um, invite your spouse, your friends, and your family members, uh, to offer feedback on your phone habits.
0: It doesn't sound fun. Yeah, yeah, do it. <laughs> but,
1: you know, again, so the, the whole idea of all of this is to see how your phone may be shaping you. Yeah. And if you're a serious, if you're serious about that, then if you want to love God better and to love your neighbor better, then it's behooves us to do some of these things, um, when eating with your family members or friends, leave your phone out of sight. Make a rule saying That's not, right. uh, you know, at dinner time, no phones. Yep. Or whatever, you know. Um, when spending time with your family members or friends or when you're at church, leave your phone in a drawer or in your car or simply power it off. At strategic moments in life, digitally detox your life and recalibrate your ultimate priorities. Step away from social media for frequent strategic stoppages each morning, digital Sabbaths, one day offline each week, and digital sabbaticals, two, two week stoppages each year. So some helpful thoughts on how um, we can monitor and assess how we're being shaped uh, by our phones. So in sum, you know what, what all this is about, uh, the, the, the book and the, the different things we've been talking about here, is that technology shapes us our phones is a very our phone smartphones are a very powerful technology that is shaping us whether you like it or not, and so it behooves us to ask some tough questions and assess how is this shaping me? Because the ultimate aim and the ultimate goal of my life, right, mm-hmm. is to love God with all my heart, mind, soul, and strength, and to love people and to love my neighbor as myself. And if my phone is shaping my ability to do that, boy, oh boy, I've got to take uh, heed and yeah. do some do some good work to um, uh, to counteract that. Amen? Amen. All right. All right, until next time, uh, this is uh, From the Pastors Bookshelf. See you with our next book.